Today on Security Science, the need for more blue team voices in cybersecurity. Hello, and thank you for joining us. I'm Dan Mellinger, and today we're discussing the general lack of defensive perspectives in cybersecurity, media, and culture. My guest today has a ton of experience on both the red and blue sides of this topic, from turning a hotel towel into an RSA badge and discovering unauthenticated curl commands for Google Home Hubs, to running our entire security program and defending the company. I have with me Kenneth Security's very own Purple Perspective and Director of Security Research, Jerry Gamblin. What's up, Jerry? Uh, not much, just wearing my Purple People Eaters Minnesota Vikings hoodie today and, and ready to talk some some blue and red team with you. He is definitely in theme today. I know we haven't made this a video yet, but it's days like this. I wish we could. <laughs> so today we're talking about a topic that's pretty near and dear to your heart, right? And that's kind of this lack of kind of the blue team perspective. So just to kick things off, um, do you mind just giving us an overview? Who's the blue team? Who's the red team? Why does this matter? Uh, blue team and red team, they're military terms. And that's kind of where the similarities stop, right? Yeah. But blue team is the people that are defending it. It's people who control the network, who set up the network, and who try to try to run the network, right? Like, like those are generally your blue team people. Blue team people can be anyone from the people who run your vulnerability management program to your help desk people to the people who run your firewall, right? Yep. Uh, red team um, – in the military term is is the offensive side. A lot of times when when people talk about a red team in a security sense, they're talking about a consultant group or a group inside a company that you've hired to, to try to penetrate your network offensively. Uh, in a broader sense, a red team is kind of anybody who's doing offensive type work or even we'll just use bad actors for this and I just with that kind of wording. Any bad actor sometimes just falls under the red team category. Got it. So thinking of blue team as kind of the defense, right? The guys who are uh, protecting the networks, red team in a cybersecurity context would be the guys trying to break in, whether good or bad in this case. But yeah, it, it's but it's different than that. And, and this is where all analogy fails. This one fails the hardest, right? Like mm -hmm. if you're playing defense, you, you think you get to defend yourself in some in some manner. Uh, that's kind of not that doesn't happen in network security, right? Like, you know, in a war game, the blue team gets to shoot back, right? They're defending something, but they have some level of offensive ability, something to to defend themselves with. Um, here, the blue team is really just the build it to be defended, and then walk away and let the red team try to get in while yep. while you watch, kind of way. So, so it's different there, right? Like everybody has seen a military reenactment or like, you know, studies history, knows about Fortress Europe or whatever, right? But yep. all the time, defensive people have offensive weapons. They're just trying to stop somebody. That That isn't the case in, in security. Yeah, that actually speaks to something we'll hit on a little bit later, but uh, essentially blue teams in this kind of context are just doing their jobs, right? Correct. They, they, yep. This is what they do every day, all day. It's not the sexy stuff. The red team guys are like, you know, the cool pen testers, all that fun stuff that people, you know, traditionally associate with hacking and cybersecurity within the mainstream, right? Exactly. So 100%. Yeah. 
Cool. All right. Well, getting into that, I, I do want to kind of jump into a couple things um, that are relevant. So two real key concepts to this discussion, and one of them is uh, kind of a primer on gatekeeping. So one, uh, I'm a comms major, right? I, I studied mass media and marketing, all that fun stuff. Um, gatekeeping is a process by which um, typically news outlets, but today it's a lot of stuff, uh, Twitter, all that fun stuff. Um but it's essentially a process by which information is filtered before it gets to the public. So, you know, there's a million stories happening across the world every day and media plays a critical function where it has to pick the stuff that's notable and important and well, in this in their case sometimes, you know, drives revenue through ad clicks stuff like that, but they ultimately have the job of filtering all this amount, you know, mass amounts of data into the stuff that really means something to the audiences and the general public. Um so you know, this is a critical function. It's existed forever and it should continue to do so. But you got to keep in mind that there are sometimes other motivations. There's other reasons they might want to share some stories over the other. And sometimes these perspectives can um, make certain issues seem bigger, more prevalent, more actionable, more uh, um, important than they necessarily are in reality, right? So um, sexy cells, you know, uh, there's a over prevalence of reporting uh, crime statistics, for example, right? Crime rarely happens when you look at it on a uh, macro level, but at the same time, that's all you're going to see reported because that's what people want to know about. So you get a perception that it happens more often. Um, so that's gatekeeping. Wanted to jump in that and I'll have some links just to the Wikipedia articles for that stuff if you want to learn a bit more and you could start digging in there. And then the next concept is something called group polarization. And this is something that Jerry actually taught me. So Jerry, I'll, I'll let you run on this one. What's group polarization? I love group polarization and I, I love to talk to people about it in information security because they don't connect those two together. Um, Dan, do you have that friend's that your wife doesn't like you to go out with because you always do something <laughs> crazy when you're with them that you wouldn't do on your own. Not anymore. Never. Yeah, of course not. So yeah, everyone has do. that friend that when they go out with, they kind of lose their ambition and they do something crazy. And, and that's kind of what group polarization is on the negative side. Right. Um, a lot of times you hear people who get involved in, in crime or whatever, like, Oh, Johnny would never do that. And and a lot of times that's probably right. Johnny left to his own devices wouldn't wouldn't do that, right? But Johnny with these other group of people gets talked into it and decides that it's okay and will do it. Uh the other part of this is it also plays backwards, right? It it makes people it can make people more cautious. Um if you're with a group of people who are overly cautious or overly worried about something, you become, uh, not in a political sense, but just more conservative, more worried. And we see this a ton in, in security. Uh, we haven't done an episode on the solar winds breach yet because it hasn't all cleared out. But when we do, we'll talk a lot about group polarization. I spent a lot of time talking to people about why, you know, the solar winds hack, might be the biggest hack in the world, et cetera. DOJ said there might have been a thousand developers. No matter all the press from the gatekeeping part that you're talking about, how much press it got this this fall and winter. Uh, actually, I guess just this winter. Um, 
it doesn't make a difference to to most people, to most organizations that weren't running that software and that that weren't, you know, that weren't a target. There's probably a list of a hundred organizations that that were a prime target, and maybe another hundred or two hundred that were picked up on the side. That's three hundred out of every every organization in the world. And I'm starting to see people talk about you know securing your supply chain and. You know, everything willing and if Karma plays right and we have DEF CON and Black Hat this year, I bet you that we can do a floor walk and there'll be, you know, 40% of the booths will have something about supply chain, right? But most companies don't need to worry about, don't need to, sorry, I don't want to say they don't need to worry about it. What I want to say is they don't need to take resources that that they would spend on the regular risk-based vulnerability management patching, uh, you know, check, making sure their apps are up to date and move that to, to this because they've been part of a group that's polarized to think that their supply chain is how how they're going to get hacked when that risk really hasn't gone up in any meaningful sense. Interesting. So in a sense, and tying this back to, I guess, solar ones and group polarization, cybersecurity in general tends to be a I guess, risk-averse group, right? And so if we hear something, we get questions all the time, right? The next uh, dark reading piece that comes out on a new vulnerability, we always get questions from customers on what's a risk score? What is this about? What should we care about this, right? Um, and you're saying on a that initial inclination either towards uh, risk aversion or risky behaviors tends to motivate the rest of the group to follow towards that extreme, whatever. Yeah. Yep. I shared an XKCD article and, you know, people talk about that on, you know, when you fly or whatever, like flying is one of the safest forms of transportation ever. But, you know, there's been studies that if there's an airplane crash in the in the continental United States, like air traffic falls 15 percent that year. Right. Yeah. I mean, does that doesn't make any sense, but it's kind of gatekeeping and group polarization brought together to to make people think that the risk of flying is too much so they become more conservative and more cautious in their and their travel plans yeah no that makes sense so you know a, a giant fiery plane crash is going to be the headline for every media outlet from the local to the national and likely get covered widely and then that drives this kind of uh, group polarization towards risk aversion from there because it's scary right and that's why it's compelling in the first place yeah, I mean, the solar winds thing is, is, you know, outside the loss of life, a giant fiery crash, right? Like, and everybody's watching it. Microsoft just announced that they lost a bunch of source code, right? It's terrible, but, you know, your average corporation doesn't need to be worried enough to change what they're doing and, and change their risk posture based on that. Yeah, yeah. No, all that makes sense, right? Your average company isn't providing, you know, the number two solution provider for cloud. Yeah, <laughs> right. exactly. Makes sense. Um, well, let's jump in a little bit, right? I mean, let's face it, Red Team gets covered a lot, in this case, hacks and hackers and all that fun stuff, because, I mean, it's kind of, it's sexy, right? That's like what people think about, the dark hoodies and uh, um, Mr. Robot <laughs> television series and um, even the Hackers movie. Yeah, awesome, no, I mean, yeah. I need to rewatch, but... <laughs> One hundred percent. Or even those uh, early eighty movies. Those were all hacker movies too. From oh, so good. Yeah, war games. The graphics. Yeah. 
Um, but I mean, you know, some of these people may have started as uh, uh, cyber criminals, right? Um, and turned consultants is kind of a big meme yeah. <laughs> in the industry, things like that. So um, do you think there's, a, I guess, just an over-reporting of this kind of uh, activity in the cybersecurity space? And Yeah, because it's it's interesting and it's it's amazing to watch and – and it's fun to look at. Uh, you mentioned two of the things that I've been in the media for in my career, which are practically useless to most people, right? Like I cloned an RFID badge to a towel because I could, right? Yep. Like that was way before I even worked at Canada. That was the first time I got like global attention. I think there was even a story that ended up in CNN for some reason about that, right? Like because a register wrote about it. That has no bearing on anything, right? Like, just so happens that the towel company used the same RFID tag as as you know RSA. So, and 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 even the the Google Home vulnerability, right? Like, it's interesting, but the likelihood of that being used in any meaningful manner is is pretty low. So, but you could take talks like that to DefCon to any conference. And it's going to fill up a room of people, right? And people are going to come and see it, and they're going to watch it, and it's going to be awesome. I do the same thing. I love to go to DEF CON. I love to hear what people are hacking on. But if I was given the same talk at the same time on, like, you know, five ways to to reduce your, your corporation security while spending $0, I would be lucky to get 20% of the audience of someone talking about hacking an ATM machine that, you know, that they don't own or that they've never even seen or know the model of, right? Yeah. Because it's entertainment at some point. Well, and it's like that car crash, right? That people don't want to see it, but you also can't look away. Um, and this is why I brought up gatekeeping a little bit as well, because I, I was um, doing some research just because I haven't been up on it in a little while. But uh, there's a study that showed that in Canada, um, half the media stories were about violent crimes, Right. Because that's what people like that. That's what drives clicks. That's what drives an audience. But even though <laughs> violent crime were only 7% of all crimes ever committed, but they're half of what was reported. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you got to fill the news with something interesting and something to get people fired up and going. I was, I was kidding with my son about this just recently. We're watching the news and they did a night CBS news did a 90 second piece on uh, Meghan Markle and, the prince, Char no, Harry, I don't know which one she's married to or whatever about like what they're doing. And he's like, why is this on the news? And I'm like, well, politics is boring now. We're going to have to get used to, to what happens on the national news when. <laughs> when it's not based off of one person's tweets. Yeah. When you don't have, when you don't have yeah. that. Right. And like, yeah. yeah, that's the gatekeeping. And I think that people are like, oh, oh, this is what normal news looks like on a normal day. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's uh, what, what's interesting, and this kind of speaks to the whole piece, right, is these kind of patterns of over-representing these instances, so crime and um, just entertainment filler, um, they reinforce this kind of distorted public understanding of prevalence, right? So they people believe that crime is much more prevalent than it actually is, and um, this leads to poor decision-making, right? From a policy standpoint, it leads to like emotion-driving uh, where our budgets and resources and all that goes, and I think that's a big deal for cybersecurity, right? So uh, you were talking about the conferences. I think that's a really, really good example is mostly people hacking Jeeps, and <laughs> that's what gets reported on and showing these kind of novel um, red 
team hacking style talks where I think you said in um, the byline, most of the audience is blue team, right? It's it's the defenders. It's it's kind of the joke that you talk to, to people about. Like when you go to DEF CON, everybody wants to to play up the red team part that they do. And that could be as simple as running running Nessus on their network. And I'm completely lucky to have a full-time research role now. 20 years in, this is my first full-time dedicated research role. And it's blue team focused. I'll give you that. But you know, there aren't many of these roles out here for people to do red team stuff. And and to be completely honest, a large majority of the red team roles that I know about get paid for by marketing. Um, huh. Because, yeah. you know, Dan, you're a marketing guy. It's no secret. Like, what happens when we get our name in a in the news, right? Or clicks go up and whatever. And it drives page views and gets people going to the website it's start i think it's called the funnel right like i'm learning more and more on the startup stuff right like at some point maybe somebody reads an article about something i did and in six months they buy the product right like that's the whole goal and a bunch of these cybersecurity companies and marketing companies know that that they can absorb the salary of a red team person and if they get three or four or five articles in major newspapers a year that it'll drive stuff through the funnel and pay for their and pay for their salary, if not more, right? Yeah. So brand exposure yeah. and uh, quote unquote thought leadership and all that fun stuff that really helps, uh, you know, I guess surface a brand and therefore solutions to more people, right? Exactly. And and then you know, and and then there are people who are like me also who have weird hobbies like car hacking that, you know, it's not nobody's paying me for it anymore. And like you know, if I go and talk at DefCon about my car hacking. It's going to look cool and people might get interested in it, but it really doesn't solve anybody's problems, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is Well, uh, that's actually interesting too. I would say like from uh, – in terms of overall split, like you know, any large corporation is going to have a very large security team, right? So um, for the most part, mo- most companies are not outsourcing all of their security, nor can they really, right? Um, yet red team pen test uh, – um, these kind of offensive ethical hackers, I guess you could say, for these kind of roles, uh, most companies, they probably don't even exist in, right? If they go and hire, I think you said earlier, they might work for a service, right? Or like a consultancy or something to come in and try to penetrate um, network and come back with recommendations. That was the big deal with Coal Fire last year. We can put that link in there. Those red team guys who got arrested in Iowa uh, yeah, yeah, for breaking right. into that courthouse, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was that last? Oh man, if that was two yeah, years was ag- last year, th- two years I ago, think. I'm going to. Was it? I don't know. I might be having COVID brain. It might have been two years ago. <laughs> we just last year didn't happen. Yeah. We'll just go with that. It was either 2019 or 2021. Uh- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most people don't. Most corporations don't have certified people to do offensive stuff. You have to be super mature to be to a point where you're like, you know what? I got all my patching and stuff done. My next good investment is to pay someone to come in and spend all day trying to, to hack me, right? Like every organization I've worked in are like, uh, we could use three more people to help with the firewall or help with patching or help building images, right? So I've never personally been in an organization that had a big enough team to, to have somebody on a red team full time. Yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, with that being the case, right? I would say blue team probably outnumber red team people like 
<laughs> what? Hundred to one? Thousand to one? Like I'm I'm actually curious. And I hate it. And like, I laugh at it every time you hear somebody says that, like, everyone's on the sales team, right? Or like, everyone's on marketing. <laughs> yeah. To, to be honest, at some point, most people in an IT organization perform some level of security, uh, even if they don't know it, right? Like, we have two IT people at Kenna. They both make sure all our patches are applied, make sure that, you know, all our 2FA set up, right? Like, they do a security role. It might only be 20% of their job, but at the end of the day, they provide a security service for Kenna. So if I try to ignore uh, critical updates to my operating system, does that make me a red team member? <laughs> only if you try to figure out how to, how to get around it, like that, that girl that I read that story about who locked out her Zoom account for six weeks in a row and nobody could figure it out. Nice. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. Well, I mean, it's it, so I, I'm. I guess the point I'm trying to get to is how do we bring sexy back to blue team to being like the cybersecurity day in day out stuff, right? Like it, it seems like those perspectives they're not shared as much, and uh, we do a lot, right? We cyber hygiene we think is sexy as hell because you know it's critical and that's kind of what we focus on, right? But you know, I mean, like it, it, it's <laughs> as hard as it is, like. Defense isn't sexy. Um, yeah. And and if you try to make it sexy, you're just going to kind of end up looking foolish. Uh, you know, how many times do dishes get done in your, your house every week? Right? Too many. Too, yeah. too many. But like if I ask you, how do you make cleaning your kitchen sexy? You're just going to laugh at me, right? And, yeah. And Blue Team is kind of the same way, right? Like you can't make it sexy you have to make it important. And I think that, that that's the one thing that, that Blue Team has that they need to keep kind of ringing the drum on and have a plan and say, hey, we're working this plan. And and that's what stops you from getting bombarded by, by this group polarization, our group think, right? Like if I have a really solid roadmap laid out for my security team, like we're doing this and this is what we're doing. And then a solar wind blows up and the CEO reads about, you know, why you should be investing, you know, 20% of your budget next year into supply chains. Everybody can explain to them like, hey, 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 we're not going to going to turn our ship around this fast. You know, we have these risk-based vulnerability management programs that we're trying to put in place. It's really important for us to, to do software refreshes, uh, we're not saying that making sure that's not important. And if you want to give us extra money, that's fine. But we don't have everything that we laid out with our budget this year is will reduce more risk than if we go chasing, chasing, you know, supply chains, right? Our waterfalls. That's interesting. I'm I'm going to steal that. You don't make it sexy. You need to make it important. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think that kind of resonates a lot, right? Like like you said, I, I do marketing, right? We are very cyber hygiene. Like, here's the stuff that is going to reduce risk. And it's not sexy, but here's why you need to do it, right? So, um, you know, that resonates for me because we're trying to figure out how do we make this important, right? Because typically, like you said, it's like washing dishes. And most, uh, I would say, companies out there and the stories, right, are all on the hacking and CEOs are getting bombarded with, you know, solar winds and why that matters to you. And, um, uh, you know, Facebook is monitoring everything you guys are doing. And, you know, this is the stories that executives are reading, or maybe non-technical, non-security people are reading. So um, there's kind of, I guess, 
a point about education, right? And why this doesn't matter necessarily or be armed to, to speak to that, to someone who may not be security centric. And I always try to coach people to say that, that not that this doesn't matter, but like it doesn't reduce the risk or we're not as supposed to be as risk as this or that. Right. Like, yeah. And, and every company has that list of stuff that they're trying to work on that they can can bring up. It's, you know, hey, we could spend 20 percent of our budget on on, uh, you know, supply chain or we can spend 20 percent of our budget getting a security review done on that 10 year old app that that brings in 40 percent of our company's revenue. Right. Like, where do you want to put the money? And understand that and be able to talk about real risk and why you need to watch where you spend your money and how you handle it. And, you know, it's adult conversation. It's not sexy. It's important, right? Like, Yeah, yeah. I invest uh, instead. I'm going to invest in an AI-based robot that can do my dishes for me. Exactly. Or, or on the other side, right? Like you hear to, to keep the kitchen cleaning you know, analogy up because it works is companies who are really bad at it and get hacked. Somebody's like, why isn't this kitchen clean? This is a mess. Right. Yeah. And then after they get breached, it's like, oh, you really need some help cleaning up your kitchen. And then they get that bone. They get that, you know, infusion of cash and they can clean it up. Right. Like most people are just trying to, to get the kitchen clean and keep it clean. Um, I had a friend who grew up in a house who probably didn't know how his kitchen got cleaned, but his mom kept a perfect kitchen every time. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I remember him going to college and he's like, wow, this sucks. Right. Like, yeah, but his mom was one of those people. If you put a plate in the sink, like it was she gone. would come pick it up and put it in the dishwasher. And, and she just, and he just thought it like magically happened. And you go to over yep. his college apartment and it's like a mess. <laughs> I roommated with a friend like that and it was yeah. just, it lasted seven months before yeah. I, I was out. <laughs> Uh, that's a very good analogy. So, I mean, that being said, right, like you need to make it important as a as a blue teamer, right? You, and you want to have this voice, that seat at the table. So what are some of the, uh, you know, best practices? We know this isn't easy, right? So, you know, yeah. what does that mean for these people on the defensive side? You got to have a plan and, and you got to work the plan. And uh, so many people don't have a plan and they let they let the gatekeeping, let the group polarization kind of drive what they do, right? And then we see it all the time. You see it more because you're in marketing and I'm a jerk and I always give you a hard time about it, right? But like it was zero trust two years ago, right? Companies who are still running Windows XP and Windows 7 are like, we're going zero trust. And you know, and so they changed their marketing, they changed their budget plan and they bought some zero trust stuff and- <laughs> You know, those same people. They just bought zero trust. It's all good. Yeah. They're fine. I mean, and those same people this year are going to turn around and buy supply chain software, right? Security software. Because somewhere up to when the winds change, they kind of change their change their thing. Uh, what we need to do is to, to help people build frameworks and understanding so that they know what they're working on and can, can weather these storms. So when... The next solar winds happens or the next big breach happens and people are like, hey, we really got to do this. They have something to take to their leadership and say, yeah, I understand that's important. And we have some risk exposure or a little risk exposure to that. But, you know, when we sat down in December, we decided that our priorities this year are this, this and this. What are we going to to move around to, to fix that? Right. To swat that in. And, and, and you know. 
be able to play defense, play play a little better defense on that, and not let let the CEOs kind of just are the board just kind of run over you and change your 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 strategy mid <laughs> midstream midstream, yeah. <laughs> or you know, the next time a major breach happens, that is likely super highly targeted to go after one company, and how that doesn't apply to maybe your company. Yeah. Yeah, like right. I know companies who never had solar winds and have very little stuff who are all up in arms about this, right? Like, yeah, yeah, infiltration. Yep, interesting. Well, I mean, do you have any other uh, things you want to leave? I thought this was awesome conversation, and I think really pertinent as we kind of, you know, I think every day people, you know, it seems like at least once a week there's a new hack, and people are like, you know, do we need to be worried about this? Should we be worried about this? Oh. God, we're going to go invest in red team pen testing and supply chain tools and what's the next trend of the day, right? Um, there's a big uh, kind of fear, uncertainty, and doubt that comes up in a lot of the marketing, all that fun stuff. Like, how do we change that tide ultimately? There's a lot of blue team love on the internet now. You just got to know where to find it. Um, there's a blue team village at DEF CON that I highly recommend. There's the AppSec village. Um, you know, there's OS query. There's a bunch of those kind of groups that you can get into and talk to people who who are blue team focused and are yeah. You know, there's blue team sec on Reddit, which is great, right? It's all people who blue, who do blue team who've moved away from the net sec kind of subreddit because it was all offensive. And while that stuff's cool and everybody will admit it, it really didn't help them in their day to day roles, right? Like. Mm-hmm. You just have to to find other people that are doing the dishes like you do every day and start kind of hanging out with them a little bit more. And, you know, you can still love the the cool hacks and the red team stuff. But but you have to know that, you know, you're not in a minority and that, you know, 90, 95 percent of people in security are, are doing the dishes along yeah. with you. Right. Hashtag blue team love. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. Speaking of, uh, I guess, kind of doing the dishes and maintaining your skills as a kind of a cybersecurity professional, um, I do want to let everyone listening know at the very end that uh, you can actually get um, ISC squared CPE credits for listening to our podcast now. So That is awesome. Uh, yeah, pretty awesome. We're pretty stoked about that. We're providing education. ISC squared thinks so. So um, if you'd like to get your credits, uh, you can actually go to the Kenneth Security um uh, blog. So we link the podcast episode on our blog every single week, and there'll be a little form fill so you can put in uh, your name and your IC squared member number, and you'll get some credits for listening to uh, the podcast there. So anyway, Jerry, thanks for being on. This is one of our first uh, podcast recordings of 2021. Like we all know, 2020 did not happen. So appreciate you being back on again and uh, everyone else listening in uh, cybersecurity realm. Have a nice day and don't succumb to the uh, group polarization. Awesome.